welcome to a special bonus episode of the On Coaching Podcast. So for this episode, it was recorded on location in Flagstaff, Arizona, at the residence of NAU cross-country track and field director, Mike Smith. We left Steve at home for this one, so it was just me and him. Now, if you listen to the podcast regularly, you know that initially this interview was reserved for scholar members only. But it's so freaking good. And Steve and I, as you know, we love to give the people what they want. Decided, hey, we will give away part one for free. Now this comes with a special offer because we're not going to release publicly part two and part three, which most people think is the best parts of the interview. We're going to keep those for scholar members only, but we want new scholar members to come join us. So we're going to give you $10 off your first month of membership with the coupon code GONAU exclamation point. That bumps it down from $29.99 to $19.99 for your first month. If nothing else, just to hear part two and part three, $19.99 is definitely worth it. But you also get access to the Scholar Clubhouse, which is a digital hangout for scholars. and has all these different channels that have a robust dialogue and discussion happening every day. These channels include biomechanics, workouts, high school coaching, the science of running. I'm in there. Steve's in there. 350 other Scholar members are in there. It's awesome. New Scholars are constantly blown away just by the amount of content and dialogue and information discussion in the clubhouse alone. You also get all the courses that Steve and I offer with regards to the science of running, the physiology of running, biomechanics of running, looking at the methods of history's best coaches. I mean, there's so much there. But in order to get this $10 savings, you must sign up right now because this offer expires October 31st, 2022. So again, that discount code for new members joining the Scholar Program is GONAU! All right, without further ado, here's part one of my three-part interview with NAU Director of Cross-Country Track and Field, Mike Smith. John and Steve are brilliant, brilliant minds, and they uh, uh, love what they do. And you are the fact that you found these guys says so much about you. And I would uh, just encourage you to stay within this beautiful gold mine that you've discovered. It's going to help you so much. I go to the same sources that uh, you do. Uh, so I consider John one of my one of my greatest mentors. Natty playing songs for you lovers out there, taking you home tonight. Traffic report coming up next. <laughs> All right. I'm here with my main man, Mr. Mike Smith, director of NAU Cross Country. Been coaching in the game for how long now? I've been a college coach for 10 years. Wow, a decade in the game. That's right, a decade oh, in the game. Oh, right. man. That's it. All right. So, being a decade deep, the question is, 
what keeps you excited about coaching? What are some right. things you love? Well, I'd say the same reasons uh, I wanted to be a college coach uh, turned out to be the same reasons that keep me in it. Uh, I'm interested in teaching. Uh, ultimately, working with these athletes in track and field and cross country is just a vehicle to get them from one place to another. Uh, that's what I suspected. That's what I desired from it getting into it. And it turns out that's, uh, that's what sustained me going through. So um, for sure, the model I always take with athletics is uh, seeing myself uh, as a teacher. I'm not sure I could have uh, seen it that way uh, if I hadn't taken the path I had into it. Um, but I know that's the way that will sustain me straight through now. Because you started as a teacher, right? You're that's right. After you graduated. That's right. How, yep. long, how long did you teach in the classroom? I taught school for two years. Mm. And this is just another version of teaching. This is just a different subject. What level was it, your teacher? Elementary school. Oh, yeah. what grades? Fifth grade. That's, yeah. man, fifth grade. That's a, a good transitional period. Brutal. Mm-hmm. Brutal. Mm. To this day, that's the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it's uh, I think when you see coaching like teaching, you know, you're just teaching a different subject. Uh, yeah, that's the way through. Mm. Mm. Love it. Love it. Now, coming up here on the start of the new 2022 cross-country season, what are you excited about going in? That's right. We're recording this on the eve of our uh, collegiate season beginning. We, we start our preseason practices uh, tomorrow morning uh, here at NAU and... And then classes start, the semester starts, and we head into, you know, a traditional fall season across country, um, which is a big one for us, always at the place I work. Um, so this is an exciting time. I love this time of year when you, you know, some of these athletes I haven't seen uh, since they left uh, at the end of their outdoor track season for the summer. Um, but this is the time of year where hope and promise, potential and possibility are the highest excitement is tangible it's like uh you know in some ways it's like christmas eve just getting ready to start so mm. um it's it's one of my favorite things as a coach i know i know the athletes feel like that too you still get butterflies in your stomach i do yeah the night before it begins i i definitely feel like that and um yeah i just want to i just want to make yeah i just want to uh i want to meet them where they are and and be of service to them and uh match uh, all that potential and possibility that I know that they're feeling and what they need from their coach. Mm. Mm. Love it. So, Well, since we're at the start of a season and everyone is curious about culture, buy-in, right. you know, it seems to be one of those uh, qualitative subjects you just can't, you know, mm. soft skills, you can't put something on. But yep. why don't you like maybe dig in a little bit about how you go about thinking about creating a culture now that you've established a quote-unquote tradition okay right <clears throat> it's interesting because uh I've, i'm trying to avoid using the word culture there's certain words that we use over and over that we start to deaden the meaning uh vulnerability i notice is one right now that mm -hmm. we're just throwing we throw this around and this is like one of the most like uh you know like uh, yeah like this is the apex of human possibility is meeting vulnerability but we just say it like we're just talking about anything, uh, you know, you see on social media, someone applauds someone for being so vulnerable. It's like, no, 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 no. We're, we're just, we're, we've cheapened the word. Culture mm. is another one I worry that we've uh, cheapened because, 
every team is talking about it in their locker room um, at the start of the season. Every coach is talking about it. And I'm, uh, I'm sick of saying the word culture, and I'm, I'm just trying to find another, another way of looking, uh, looking at this. That being said, if anyone has any other suggestions on <laughs> word substitutes for culture, I'll, I'll, I'll take them because most of my talks I end up, uh, I end up, I end up referring to culture. I've um, uh, actually I've been using vibe. Ooh, uh, I like vibe. Uh, yeah. Lately, because it's, um, yeah, it's actually. I, I learned it from them because when they're describing uh, when they're describing a, a, an environment or a situation or how something feels, they'll say vibe or vibes, and um, this may be actually uh, a translation into uh, into what us traditionalists think of as culture. Um, but right, this is uh, this is the way we relate to one another um, in uh, how we see one another. In, how we move towards what we say is important to us. And, you know, it's, um, there are some particular challenges in this, in what we do, especially working in a sport where your individual accolades could often be like the baited path to get you where, uh, where you find yourself. That's to say that someone may have gotten into this uh, in, in ways that don't assist our culture. Uh, you may find yourself in this place and have, be speaking a completely different language when you show up to college. Um, and you can also be a bad teammate and still run fast. And um, um, we see that over and over again. So or you can even have teams that aren't good, that, that really fail in this area. And you can still, don't, don't be fooled, you can still have success. Um, but anyway, this is the, these are the challenges. This is what interests me in working with teams. And cross country is the Petri dish for this. Mm. Um, you know, it, it rings through, obviously, straight through in track and field, but cross-country is, um, yeah, the, the greatest testing ground. So, uh, we're, we're excited about it. When we think about culture or vibes, as we're calling it. Vibes. When we think about vibes, I also think about buy-in, right? And what you have a privilege of mm. is having some, if not the top high school running talent, matriculate to... 7,000 feet. Right. How do you get the buy-in, say, from a Brody Hastings, mm. who, high school phenom, star, but get his buy-in to deliver role excellence because he has good role clarity of like, hey, if I'm number three, four guy on a championship mm. team, that's actually just as good, if not a little bit better. Right. Yeah, the, um, the success of our... The success of the NAU cross-country team, uh, you know, when you put seven people on the line at the national championship and only five of them score, it's really about the, the 20 guys on a roster. Um, and we've got a, we've got a long run-up to clarify that all year long in what we talk about. You know, five score, uh, seven even get to the line, but, you know, those other 13, they they got us there in the first place. And so it's creating a role for everyone. You know, it's, you're describing like an athlete that can really embrace like their number four position on the team. Um, can you do that with the number 11 guy who's not even going to be on the line? Can you do that with the number 15 guy? Can you do it with the freshman who's red shirt? And can you do it with the guy who's hurt and he's on crutches at practice? Um, that's, uh, I think what we've done really well. 
Last year, we had a, a mantra. We gave our, our, our athletes three options when they come to practice, good, great, or selfish. Anything outside of good or great, they're thinking about themselves. Everything else is thinking about the group. And it's always a choice. It's always a choice. Mm. Uh, and they have this one, they have this, there's actually a fourth thing. It's called act of God, which is you got it like hit by a bus. Mm. Uh, you know, you got like a food poisoning, something really out of the ordinary. But outside of that, every single practice, you get good, great or selfish. Pick one. Oh, wow. Uh, so talk about that. What is good? What is great? What is selfish? How do you identify <clears throat> that? We put our highest value on solid. We want singles and doubles, singles and doubles over and over again. Our highest value is on solid. Solid actually at the national meet is exceptional. Um, but with just trying to be solid and knowing that that's... Uh, now what's singles and doubles real quick? Um, so that's... Uh, it's not trying to hit it out of the park. It's not okay. swinging okay. too big. It's just getting so on base, solid, analogy, just solid, get on solid. Base, get on base. Right, yep, yep. 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 Oh, but, but do that over and mm. over and over again. Mm. Despite having two tests that day, breaking up with your girlfriend, uh, your stomach's messed up, you didn't sleep well, uh, still solid, 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 over and over again. When you can provide us consistency in training, you, you've, you have an entryway to provide us consistency in racing. If you can provide us consistency in racing, now you're someone we can count on, and that's the highest virtue at NAU, be someone that we can count on. Ooh. So the legends that came before you, they were just people we could count on. That's it, period. What made him great is like, on the starting line, I'm going to get between this and this. On, a, on the worst day ever, Matt Baxter was going to be 15th in the country. And on the best day ever, he's going to win. But guess what? You know what we can count on? This dude, no matter what happens, is going to be between 1st and 15th. Um, get, we'll take that every time over and over again. So where do you... Where, that doesn't just fall out of the sky on race day. You start, <laughs> you start practicing every Tuesday and every Friday when you show up to these workouts. So we put our highest value on solid and our highest value on consistency. And so what you'll notice at practice is... Someone ran the last split really fast. We don't blow up any of that. We don't, we don't reward any of that. We don't celebrate any, uh, you, know, um, you know, someone who just rolled out that day or felt great or, or you know, split, split really fast. We don't, we don't put any of that on a pedestal. We, what we put on a pedestal is that we've had someone, uh, you know, go nine consecutive workouts that gave up, delivered to us between good and great uh, despite a bloody nose or a cramp or a calf strain or shitting your pants or you still found a way to deliver that to us. And again, that's the entryway to being able to do that on race day. Um, so anything outside of that, to be honest with you, is uh, you're, you're thinking about yourself. So that's to say you show up on workout day, you're not feeling how you want to feel. Uh, you know, you, yeah, you, you let your emotions make the best, uh, take the best of you there. That happens on race day for us. It's catastrophic. We can't line those people up. I got to weed them out throughout the season. So we only put people on the line that can deliver uh, that level of consistency to us. Um, so if we can teach that top to bottom, the, the, the time last year that I knew we had a good chance uh, or that we were going to be tough to beat at the national meet, it wasn't what Abdi Hamanur was doing. It wasn't what Nico Young was doing. It was what Randy Espinoza was doing. Ooh. And you don't even know that name. But that's a freshman walk-on um, that was found a way to deliver to us everything consistent, top to bottom, day after day after day. We had 20 guys on the roster in the fall give us good to great 
for 90 days in a row without any exception. Wow. So try to try to deal with it, us at the national meet like that. So that's what I mean by culture. Uh, and you're, when you're asking about like these role positions, it's like the 18th guy is directly tied to what happens in the national meet, right? Because you're creating this platform to push off from, which is this level of consistency, right? So we talk about that from day one. Uh, yeah, and that's, uh, that's, that's a huge part of it. Wow. Yeah, that is, man. Thanks for sharing that. All right, kind of piggybacking off that, um, you know, obviously there's a high expectation, high standard of excellence that you hold yourself to as well as the program and also the athletes in the program. You know, what are some various approaches you can offer coaches out there to, um, you know, as an inside glimpse on how you deal with racing, training anxieties, or mental blocks with athletes? Yeah, well, the first thing, uh, something in the, in the last year or so I've really um, – been thinking a lot about is the I would catch myself giving advice in the office to these athletes that's like man I should be taking this advice myself and it's so uh, I started noticing the patterns of <clears throat> something started pointing me towards with the words I was using with athletes that the coach has to be willing to walk the same streets as the athlete mm. so I'm asking the athlete to let go of outcome am I willing to let go of outcome um, and so one of the greatest things I can model for them, uh, is actually doing that work myself. Um, and that's a big piece when you're a team at the top where external expectations are on winning. Um, like <laughs> one of the greatest things I can deliver to them is resolving that within myself Right? Because if I don't resolve that myself, I can use certain words that say, are all saying the right things. You could read a script for it and think this is right. But if it's actually not resolved in myself, um, they're going to read that energy more than anything I say with words. Mm. It's just like in the same way uh, animals can sense fear uh, inside you. The athletes can sense where you're really at. And so I've been, I think I've been doing some personal work in... Uh, particularly around letting go of outcomes, not needing to win. Um, and I think that's actually enhancing our ability to uh, walk walk the walk. The question about uh, training or training anxiety and racing mm -hmm. anxiety, yeah, yeah, both yeah. of those both, anxieties. Both those, yeah. 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 yeah, like basically performance or deliverable anxiety. Right. <clears throat> um, a couple of things come to mind with that. You know, the uh, big thing I'm trying to undo, and it's been harder and harder, I think, as we're going forward with high school kids, where time is such a focus, is uh, we're trying to teach processes, not outcome. Uh, we've won national championships without ever talking about national championships. And um, oftentimes, when, oftentimes when athletes don't understand that, they... Um, are so outcome driven that they're needing the races to be something that they're that they're not, and it's really hard to really hard to race like that. Um, a term we use a lot in our program we call it next logical step. So we look at where we are and where we want to go, and we get really excited about taking the next logical step. Junior on the team last year, Drew Bosley. Ran 13.26 or so for us, 
1925. He was uh, maybe 11th at the NCAA cross-country meet. Here were the next logical steps for him to get there that no one celebrated, no one blew up. At first, he ran 14 flat. No one gave a shit. Mm. Ran 13.42. No headlines. No one's popping champagne, right? Um, but if you trace it back, these performances, they don't just fall from the sky. There's this path to get there. And what we have to undo are these athletes that, like, you know, you know, a high school kid that it's all about breaking nine minutes. And it's like, are you going to get excited about 9.28 and 9.16 and these next logical steps to get there? Uh, everyone wants to skip that. We just want to go right to 8.54. Um, so we got to make sure in uh, the folks in leadership positions here, or we're really celebrating. We know, I, you know, 14, Drew breaking 14 minutes was actually that string was completely tied to 11th at the NCAA cross country meet eight months later, we had to be willing to make the next logical steps. And uh, too often I find athletes, they're not excited about it. They want to skip over it. Their teammates end up being half the problem because we only want to blow up the ones that are just like home runs. And, um, we gotta, that's often, we gotta get there being willing to take the next logical step. The pandemic was a great teacher of that uh, for me because we had athletes with lots of training and little racing that want validation of the lots of training. I put my head down. I did all this stuff for six months, no races. Now we need this singular moment to validate all the work. And uh, I don't know very, I don't know very often when that, when that works out. Um, you know, we deal with a lot of race anxiety. Unfortunate enough right now to not deal with a lot of training anxiety um but i think we're getting really ahead of that because we're talking about the right things leading into these workouts so people have a role to play like if you punk out on a workout for us that is like dead no matter who you are that is devastating for our team mm. and you know when you're showing up to practice like that you know you're carrying that with you and they take that serious so we don't we don't have uh have a lot of that training anxiety, I'd say. Uh, but if you do, you definitely have athletes that aren't thinking about the group. They may be working with past stories around training, um, or they may have some association with physical discomfort, hurt, this need to feel good. Those are the places I would, I would think of around training anxiety. Mm. You kind of hinted at it, like with the next logical step in development. I mean... You know, you've, we've seen some crazy shit from some athletes in their time under your tutelage. Tyler right. Day, Abdi Nur, Luis. I mean, all those guys couldn't really hold a candle when they first stepped into, walked right. on the campus. And right. they became big dogs doing big things. Right. You know, walk us through a little bit of like, maybe not how you architect or, or the architect of that, or just the development that you witnessed in them not just physically but more like mind space right mental and emotionally right so again yeah if you if you if someone seems like it just comes out of nowhere we're probably not close enough to the situation uh abdi hamaner running 1306 you know it's not a it's not a surprise because i see the you know the 21 next logical steps in the succession to get there uh so oftentimes when it's like someone came out of nowhere, uh, 
we're just missing information. The, what we teach athletes is here's the order. Consistency in life, consistency in training, consistency in racing. Try to skip any of that um, and you're going to be really frustrated. The math won't add up. I did all this work and I didn't get what I wanted. So, I mean, on the most basic level, like what I would tell the high school kids is, do you know how many people you're going to beat? That, and it's got nothing to do with workouts, nothing to do with training. Do you know how many people you're going to beat by your willingness to stop playing video games at 10 o'clock and go to bed? Hmm. Do you know how many people you're going to beat by your willingness to start the paper earlier than the night before it's due? I mean, you're going to beat half the state on that. And we didn't even, we didn't even talk about anything involving running right there, right? It's like consistency in life is just the entryway to even have the chance to talk about consistency in training. Um, and at the highest level of our sport, you'll often see a professional athlete structure a life where there is a stable, uh, you know, sta there's stable people, uh, there's stable relationships, there's a stable training base. And what, what we need to understand with that is you're creating a much larger capacity to handle all these other intangibles. You're freeing up all the space because you already know uh, what's going to happen. You know the place you like to train. You, uh, yeah, you live like a clock. Mm. And so you develop this consistency where a lot of the young athletes that I'll uh, start working with are like, how much do you sleep? I sleep eight hours a night. No, no, no. That's, you do that two nights a week. And then um, the other times you, you know, it's this whole other thing. So it's a real flaw when we start defining what we do by uh, the snapshot of like our best moments of it. And that's a real, that happens a lot with young, um, with young athletes. So the biggest thing, right, is consistency in life. Abdi Hamanur, Luis Grijalva, they just got fourth and 11th in the world. So the starting point to those results, the run-up to it three or four years ago, um, is the most, like, not exciting stuff. Like, you'd be so disappointed <laughs> because it's got nothing to do with training. It's like, Luis went, Luis got, uh, went to bed at the same time, you know, six out of seven nights a week, uh, you know, for a hundred weeks in a row. Um, you know, Abdi Hamanur, you know, uh, got a schoolwork on track, um, you know, his diet on track, you know, things like that. Anyway, it's, oh, that, that consistency is the platform for the, now, now all of a sudden we can just start talking about consistency and training before you ever get anywhere. So that's, you know, that's the piece that people are oftentimes underwhelmed to hear. <laughs> what we're hearing a lot of is people uh, underestimating the import of preliminary steps or preliminary foundations. Right. How did you get to that path of understanding that that truly is the foundation for all success is those basic, basic rudimentary, fundamental, yeah. preliminary foundations before we can even have a conversation yep. about how many miles a week I'm running. Before well, we can even have a conversation about right. how fast do you think I can run this race on the track at Sanford Invite? Right. Yep. And that's, I was fortunate enough to work with college, college athletes. And that's like the, the great teacher in that is like, you know, you come in and you want to know about the workout splits <laughs> and the races and stuff like that. It's like, dude, you're going to live, you're going to, you got to first survive one year in, in the dorm, you know, where the hallway is loud at night and you got invited to like go somewhere at 11 PM and none of these kids have to go to bed early. And you know, you're, I mean, anyway, that's a, yeah, that's the great opportunity in college coaching is like the whole, 
the, the, the greatest accelerant to learning that is like your freshman year when you leave home for the first time and someone's not telling you, someone's not making your dinner or asking you if you've studied for the test yet or um, telling you, you know, you should really turn off the whatever and go to bed. That's all on you. And so we got to oftentimes take steps back to move forward in that. But that's where the great realization comes because you could tell them this all day. They're going to have to learn it. Kind of taking a little bit of a pause or pivot back, you know, comparing having you went to Georgetown and then coached at Georgetown Mm -hmm. and then coming now to NAU and coaching in Flagstaff, you know, this type of athlete. We've, you and I have talked about a lot, a lot, the difference in bandwidth they have because of the global anxiety that's related to academics or this and that, you know, how important is that to free up or create space to have like the ability to process and decompress bandwidth to be able to deliver on your guys' deliverables of consistency, Mm. singles and doubles. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the academics are a massive part of this, you know, and just these two different experiences of of, uh, working at Georgetown and NAU, uh, not to say that the uh, our athletes at NAU don't take their academics uh, serious, but I definitely notice the absence of this external pressure of uh, academic excellence or what internship you get or your resume or uh, what happens after college. Uh, that those athletes tended to uh, found them more at a place like Georgetown than NAU, um, but. What interests me is capacity, just like you described, is like the space that we can fill this up with. And so um, when you're surrounded by uh, this, you know, yeah, you're sitting in class with people that have no problem staying up all night studying. They don't have a tempo around the morning. Right. Um, it's really hard to find your own, you know, your own, your own way in that. Um, so when we're talking about consistency in life, I mean, academic stress is just one of the types of stresses, relationship stress. Um, but just learn to manage those things and keep them in a real steady place. If you, a lot of times for, for high school athletes, um, that's this big changeover that happens, you know, halfway through high school is like, okay, I know the people I like to be around, uh, where I go, how I get to school, how I'm at, all of a sudden you're comfortable in a place that maybe you weren't as comfortable early on and it frees up space. So then you can all of a sudden be <laughs> thinking about all these other things and, Managing uh, mental and physical stress. So, yeah, we're just trying to create more space, create larger vessel, larger capacity, bigger container. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you do that by subtraction, not addition. Mm-hmm. We think when we think bigger container, we got to make the actual vessel larger. Uh-uh, no, no, hold on. Let's just make the other stuff smaller mm-hmm. and we clear up the space to then, mm-hmm. now all of a sudden, I, like I always see it in college kids, like who's coming to my office two days out from the workout saying, hey, what are we doing Friday? And... It just, it's, it's an indicator that they're already thinking, you know, they've, they've got the space to already be thinking about it, right? Versus the one that's like, all right, I just made it here. Like, okay, hold on, I'm going to just get through, you know. Yeah, no. So they're indicators of capacity. Uh, yeah, so. yeah. Do you guys, like, you know, offer or do any work to help give these young men and women, like, coping mechanisms or coping tools when they do meet a lot of that friction stack or potential distractions? We work with a wonderful mental performance coach, Shannon Thompson. She's doing our program for... Uh, Jeez, the whole the whole time I've been at NAU, so going on seven years now, which is really cool that she's mm. really dialed into our program. Um, and what I appreciate about Shannon is she, uh, yeah, she's a great mental performance teacher, and that she understands that we're uh, a lot of what we're a lot of the uh, ultimate performance in the race was happening way before the race, right? And so um, 
whether we're talking about coping with these external things um, or how to order them or manage them. She understands how that actually leads up to um, what happens in, in the race. When we've, got, when, we, when we've limited our capacity because we're not coping well with external stress, how can we even talk about race plans or anything <laughs> that we just don't have the space for it, you know? So, and, and honestly, even just, even just get an athlete to understand that, whether they could even do a thing about it, but just get an athlete to understand that initially is, is, a, pretty big, is a pretty big step. If, somebody, if, an, if one of our athletes could just explain it the way I have, they're going to be in good shape because they're going to be able to put it in the right place mm-hmm. and understand that, um, you know, just because you're arrested for the race, but, you know, you have all this other external stress doesn't you know, necessarily mean yeah. uh, the race is going to go how you want. Friends, there you have it. Part one the on coaching Mike Smith tapes part two is going to be a deep dive into training and racing philosophy we're going to start off with race plans Mike's view on over coaching and how he personally overcame that his advice to young coaches his wish for coaches and athletes at the high school level to undo their obsession with time, why he esteems 4x4 100 meter times, more than 3200 meter times, as well as the import of his mentors, which include Dan Path, Jack Daniels, and John Cook. And we're going to get in the nitty gritty of training, sub-T versus T workouts. So hope you're excited. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being a scholar. The thing Mike understands and the thing all scholars understand is a coach can only get better and improve if their peer group gets better and improves. This is why he shared these insights. This is why he agreed to do these tapes. And this is why Steve and I only ask that you tell a friend and you recommend, you encourage, you poke, you prod, you ask them to join us because the scholar program is only as good as the collective zeitgeist and brain trust that populates it.